Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. And today I am joined by Charlie Stanton. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Could you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do before we get started? Yeah, certainly. Um, I uh, own a business valuation firm uh, based out of Phoenix, Arizona. And we um, I've been in a business appraiser for about a decade now. And what we do is we value privately held businesses. And we, we do it for a range of reasons, including uh, gift and estate work or mergers and acquisitions. So we work with uh, attorneys and CPAs and business owners to help their clients or help the business owners themselves value their business and, and for a variety of different purposes, which I don't know how deep you want to go. I can go further of why we do it or not, but that's sort of the main overview of what uh, my business is. Okay. Uh, what are what are a few of the reasons that someone would want their business appraised? We can go a little deeper. Okay. Yeah. So um, a lot of the work I do is gift and estate work. And so what that means is if you're a business owner and you want to give or gift uh, interest of your business or your whole business to maybe a trust or to children, or there's some sort of state tax planning strategy, uh, they will hire somebody like me who will come in and maybe value the whole business or maybe value the specific interest. A lot of times people will set up um, you know, LLCs and put real estate in them and they'll gift out uh, interest in that to children. Or owners, you know, maybe their kids are working with them inside the business, and instead of having the kid buy the buy a portion of the business, they'll gift uh, a portion of the business, and so they'll hire me to uh, appraise that. Because what happens is, if you're going to make a gift, and especially over a certain amount, that gift needs to have uh, an appraisal, and you need to have, file an IRS form and uh, turn that into, or sorry, submit that in with the IRS. So you have to have a qualified appraisal by a qualified appraiser submitted with that. And so that's a lot of the work I do and a lot of estate work as well. If, if you're a business owner and you pass away, uh, the IRS could effectively require you to get the an appraisal done to know the value of that business as part of your total assets. And okay. the third sort of area of focus that I work on too is, is, is um, a lot of working with owners on succession planning. Maybe you've owned a business for 20 or 30 years and now it's time to sell the business or you're thinking about selling it, or maybe you want uh, managers of your company to buy you out, but you first want to know, well, what's the value of my business? And so um, I would provide a, you know, at least a basis for what you think of fair market value for your business. Mm. Okay, cool. And are you, that last one's not required by the IRS, I presume? No. Okay. And then the, the ones that are required by the IRS, uh, you must be certified in some way. Is that true? Well, you have to be qualified, and there's some. The IRS gives out the qualifications, and, and mainly they're they're not really certified now. It's more: do you hang yourself out as a business appraiser? Do you have certain qualifications that are um, known in the appraisal world? I have something called the Chartered Financial Analyst, which is a generally accepted. Uh, you know, designation in that field. So, and then you have to just show that, you know, you've, you, you do this on a regular basis to have that level of competency to be able to complete the work. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And when you first reached out to me over email, you described a situation. Do you want to kind of bring that, do, do you recall that clearly enough to kind of, yeah, yeah, head? yeah. I'd like to, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm in a unique position um, where uh, you know, 
I am able to work comes my direction because people have to, it's required. Um, but one of the challenges I, I really always find myself up against is once something becomes, it feels like once something's required, then people almost feel like it's a commodity because they think other people out there, you know, there are other, a lot of other appraisers out there. So they think, you know, obviously other people are doing it. Competition is high. And, and then it, it just becomes more of a challenging of trying to maybe sell my specific services. Cause they come in and say, look, I know I need to get this done. I don't want to pay a lot of money for it. You know, they kind of feel like in a position where it, this is something that's just, since it's a requirement, they don't find a lot of value in it because it's just something they have to do to get the ball, you know, across the finish line. Right. And, uh, you know, I just had a conversation with an accountant the other day. She says, yes, I have a lot of work, but I always struggle because I feel like appraisers just charge way too much money. And so it's really having that value conversation with, you know, the, the, uh, the attorneys and CPAs to really help, help them understand uh, you know, there is a lot of value in it. It's not just something you have to get completed. Right. I get the, I get the idea though. It's kind of like paying to get your car registered. You know, if you want to drive it, you need a license plate on it, but you don't really want to, you know, why would you want to, you don't look at it like that. You're like, well, I paid all the money for the car. I don't want to pay all this money for the registration or the taxes or something to like keep it on the road. Right. And, and the issue I've noticed just to piggyback off of that is um, what happens is a business owner will say, Oh, I'm going to make a gift to my son. And then their uh, maybe their attorney steps and says, oh, whoa, before you do that, you need to get an appraisal done, you know? So like you're saying, like they bought the car, they're doing this big gift, they're doing something really generous or what they want to do. And then somebody says, we'll pump the brakes. You now got to go pay this other guy to go do this for you. And it's going to be a lot more money. Plus the attorney or the accountant themselves are going to have more fees on top of that. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to just feel like this fee, you know, this compounding of fees for this client, you know, and right. I'm just one piece of that puzzle. And who, who's really the client or who's paying you? So the, the actual, well, I engage with the owner, but my referrals come through uh, CPAs and attorneys primarily. Okay. And you, but you did say that attorneys would complain that your fees were too high. What do they care? Well, they care because they have to recommend me to their clients. Okay. So they're saying, Oh, you know, client, you know, Mr. Smith, please, you know, give Charlie a call because you need to get this appraisal done. Or maybe they'll act as an intermediary to kind of make introductions or kind of help with facilitate the process. Mm-hmm. And so that's who I generally market to because they're the ones who have the hundred, you know, hundreds of clients that are potential business owners. Mm-hmm. And, but so, so they recommend me, but then they're like, so they don't want to recommend somebody and then their fees are high because then their client's going to come back to them and say, well, you know, what'd you do? This guy's charging me all this money for this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's where you just get some pushback. Right. Right. Um, okay. So a whole bunch of questions there. So, I, you, so let's say, but well, before I jump into solving it, I'm, I'm making an assumption about your goal. So what, okay. what would be your goal? Like what's, you know, so, so if I was going to describe the situation, it's like you get referrals from other professionals who are involved in this, uh, in these scenarios, uh, they bring their own expectations to the table about what you should be charging and, and then pass that along that recommendation along to the customer. So you, you have to kind of clear that gatekeeper hurdle. Um, and then mm-hmm. the customer is not really, maybe not aware that they need to have this done. So it's, it's yet another thing they have to pay for. They're trying to do some, they thought they were trying to do something nice. And now they're getting sort of nickel and dimed. 
Uh, so I'm imagining that what you would like right. to do is find a way where you could uh, charge more, right? Right. Right. Okay. So I mean, that, that's the goal and probably educating clients as well, but yes, yeah, definitely charging more. Mm -hmm. All right. And how are you currently, how, how are these engagements currently priced? I think in the email it said you, you used to work at a firm that did hourly, uh, but now you don't do that. Could you talk about your pricing model a little bit? Yeah, certainly. I, um, the way I structure it is I do not do hourly billing and I don't really build, um, my, uh, my bid based off of my hours, so to speak. I look at the size of the engagement and sort of the size of the business. So whenever I take on a client, I first ask, give me some background. I need to get an understanding of the business before I can actually give a proposal. And then based on the complexity of the business, maybe the size of the business or the number of operations within that business, or uh, maybe there's a lot of components to the business that need a lot of extra work added to them or different types of ownership structures, different owners and types of equity and preferred and debt, all those kind of add to the complexity. And then I build my, uh, my uh, price based off of that. Mm -hmm. and, you, and then I, I quote a fixed fee price okay. to my clients and say, this is the price it will take me to do it. I'm not going to charge you anymore unless there's some sort of script change. Okay. So, um, okay. So you're giving sort of a, a cost based fixed bid, I would say, uh, because, um, yes, you're, you, on the one hand, you said you're charging more if the business is bigger, which could kind of sound like a value-based thing because it kind of implies that the business owner is getting, will potentially get more value out of your contribution. But you also said that you do this sort of upfront diagnostic exploration because you're concerned about, or at least it's on your mind, how much work is going to be involved. And also if there's a scope change, you would change your price. So that tells me that the price is perhaps not bought or sold, sold on value. It might be purchased that way, like the buyer might think of it that way, but it sounds like you're thinking about it, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're thinking about it in terms of how much work you're going to have to do. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You know, that's a good point. I don't really think about it that way. I, I do, and that's, uh, that's probably a good representation of it. I'd like to get more to that value-based selling and... Um, and that's sort of obviously one of the interests in really reaching out to you. So um, I, I would probably argue it's probably a little more cost-based, you know, now that I kind of reflect back on it. So yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the value to the buyer, the actual client of, of not just having a business appraiser come in. Well, let's start there. Um, I think your answer is going to be, well, they have to, it's not really worth anything to them. They just have to do it. Uh, otherwise, well, tell me what would happen if they didn't do it. Um, they would be open to an IRS audit. Okay. Like a much higher likelihood. And then, you know, if, if the, there are, if, yeah, there, there's some kind of high costs, it, it's kind of dependent, but you know, if they're, Say they think it's worth, they, they just say, oh, they make up a number and say my company's worth a million. Well, it comes back later on after the IRS looked at it and they say, no, it's worth 10. Well, that difference between a million and 10, that 9 million, there could be some fees charged on that amount, you know, so it could be a pretty high cost to them if they're incorrect. Okay. Well, let's explore this a little bit. Let's say I roll the dice and I say, eh, it's, it's worth a million. And then what happens next? The IRS maybe looks into it. It raises a red flag. Turns out it's ten million. Now, now, what? What's my penalty? 
Um, it's a little, it's, there's not like a straight penalty all the time or, you know, it's not like a structure, like a fee structure necessarily like that, that they'll charge, but they are on the results and maybe some of the, um, uh, discounts that we can get. That's kind of a different thing where there's some discounts maybe take on the interest we transfer all that rolled in together. It could be, you know, you could be paying fines of, you know, maybe 10% of that, you know, so $900,000 or something. Okay. But if the, if I had hired you in the first place and it was valued at, 10 million instead of 1 million, I would have paid that anyway, right? Right. Well, you would have paid me my fee to do that and not have probably not be, you know, the issue with the IRS that you're getting at, sorry. Um, maybe. I, I mean, this is not an area that I have any experience. So maybe I'm just asking right. a stupid question. But if, if, uh, if, if I just pull a million out of my hat and I say, right. oh, I think it's worth a million, does that affect my, I'm assuming when the transfer happens, somebody gets tacked somewhere. Like that's must be why the IRS cares how much the business is worth, right? Right, right. Okay, so let's right. say, so the, yeah. If, ahead, the, if the if the business is worth a million and the tax is a percentage of that, I'm gonna let's say I have to pay ten thousand dollars. But if it turns mm -hmm. out, but if you know, and I'm thinking that's what's gonna happen. But I say, you know what? I'm gonna bring in Charlie, and you come in. And I pay you some amount of money, and then you tell me the business is actually worth ten million. So now I have to pay a hundred thousand, right? Oh, I see. You're saying the tax. Yeah, that's what you're saying. It's not. It's... Yeah, right, right. So, so you're right. So that 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 difference in the tax. So what I was getting at was the penalty. So if you if you incorrectly value it, and the IRS finds that they are going to charge you a penalty, not the tax, but a penalty, a fee. Mm -hmm. for incorrectly stating the value of that asset. Got it. And and so so uh is that penalty more than what you charge? Oh yes, yeah, it'd be substantially more. Okay, so there we go. So that the way we found it. So if if <clears throat> even if they guessed the well no, if they guessed the right amount, <laughs> then they won't have a problem. Um I suppose if they guessed too high, they'd be paying too much in tax. So and in a scenario like this, they are probably they want to have the business valued as low as possible for the purposes of this transfer or is there some negative repercussion there no you're right generally in a in a all else equal in a gift and estate type work you'd you'd want to have the lower value the lower to the tax in theory okay now what about a scenario where someone's buying the business i want it to be higher correct correct Interesting. So if I if I gift the business to somebody and it's on the books at a million, and that's everybody knows that's actually low. Everybody but the IRS. Does that come back to bite the new owner if they tried to sell? Um, not necessarily. It'd be pretty hard for the IRS to maybe track something like that. But you know, it's it's um, it, it can come back if they're gifting, and then now that the value is substantially increased. Now, when you go to sell it, the the owners maybe you gifted to would have a higher, they'd have a lower cost basis, a higher value. So they probably owe a higher tax when they go to sell it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's maybe areas where you'd probably pay more, but if you're not ever planning on selling it, you know, maybe that's different, right. you know, but okay. yeah, it, that's how it would come back, I guess, to them. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of my house. Like I, I want it to appraise really low because that's what my taxes are based on. And I have no intention of selling it. So, you know, it's like I, I, I want the house to be worth as little as possible on paper. I don't care what right. the, you know, it's not like an ego thing. Like, oh, I want the house to like, if I ever did sell it, it would be like, 
a million dollars or something. It doesn't matter to me. So, okay. So let's focus on the, just on the gift and estate piece, because that's your area of specialization. Um, and I think we found, we've, we found a story that you could tell of why it's important, why it's a, um, it would be important to hire someone like you at least, because if here's the scenario, tell, correct me if I'm wrong. If the business owner decides to wing it and not hire you and roll the dice and they guess really low and the IRS audits them, then they'll have to pay a fee that is substantially more than your fee, right? Right, right. Okay. So, okay. So how long does, uh, you know, just roughly uh, the, the projects that you've done in the recent past, what's the longest and shortest? So, so how much of a, you know, are we talking like days, weeks, months, how long does it take to, to appraise a typical business that comes your way? Right. It, it, it takes um, between two and six weeks is how long it would take to complete a full appraisal. Okay. And how many of these can you do? How many of these clients can you have going at the same time, like concurrently? Um, you could probably, you know, you could probably be doing 15 at a time. Okay. So they don't really take that much time. They just get spread out over. Right. Right. There, there's components that take a lot of time and then other components that are, you know, you're collecting a lot of data, analyzing data and writing a report basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. And <clears throat> all right. So let's say, can you give, you know, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you give us a rough idea of how some, how much someone like you, or let's put it like this, how much does an attorney want to say their appraiser is going to cost? Like what, what is the fee that they want to say to the business owner generally? Right. So I would say for, uh, let's say like a gifting of maybe a, a business, you know, does maybe a million dollars a year. They probably want to say an appraisal is going to cost $3,000. Okay. And oops, I wrote that down wrong. And how much do you think, uh, the, who, who else is involved? Attorney, CPA, who else? Yeah, there might be an attorney involved or CPA involved. Um, just kind of depending on, on, on the client's relationship. And are they all kind of charging around the same 3000 ish for a million dollar business to be gifted? Yeah. I, you know, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what all the, uh, what the fees are for the attorney, because there might be a lot going on and this might be one component of the overall state plan. So their fees might, I might not know exactly what they're charging and they're probably, you know, higher, who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would imagine that, I would imagine that an attorney would feel a little, a little twinge wince a little bit if he or she were recommending other providers that were going to be making more money on the deal than they are. Um, maybe, maybe not, but that could, that could have something to do with their price sensitivity. Although I am sure that the, the seller or the gifter is not going to take it as good news that, Oh wait, I, I thought I was just going to give this to my son. Uh, now I got to pay you three grand. I got to pay her three grand. I got to pay the other guy three grand. Right. It's starting to seem like maybe I should do something different. Uh, right. Right. Potentially adds up after a while. So, I mean, do you have a sense of how much it would cost? Like, let's say I wanted to, I don't know, gift a million dollar business to my brother. Uh, yeah, are you saying how much I would cost, or like an everything, or like CPA involved? Yeah, I don't know. Like roughly, do you have any sense of, oh. you know, like oh, it's going to yeah, cost I mean, me ten grand say, to give I, it to him? Yeah, probably. I, I would, I would in the ballpark. I would say, I mean, I, for somebody like me, I, I would let's say quote at least five thousand dollars at a minimum. 
-hmm. And then probably say they need to get their CPA to file the return. They're probably going to charge two or three thousand. And then, um, you know, maybe the attorneys involved. That's, I would guess, probably another three to four. Uh, I'm not sure entirely what would need to be done, but there might be some obviously legal documents with transfer within the business probably need to be done. Plus, uh, maybe some other state type stuff needs to be done. Um, so that would be my ballpark. Okay. So yeah, let's say ballpark it for 10 K in professional service fees to gift, um, a million dollar business. Okay. And if I don't do that, then I'm just opening myself up to potential headaches and, uh, and larger fees down the road. So I might as well do it. Right. Okay. So now we get to you specifically. So if someone, if, if someone, let's say for the time being that, that, um, the referrals, not the issue. So in other words, you don't have to, you don't have to make a case to the lawyer or the CPA or the financial planner that recommended you. You're just talking directly to the client and, and you say to them, look, why do you even want to get this business appraisal done? And they say, they're going to say, well, because I have to. And if I don't do it, then I'm rolling the dice with the IRS. I don't feel like talking to the IRS. I don't feel like paying them, even risking paying a big fee that would be 10 times more than probably what I'm expecting to pay you. And say, okay, that makes sense. But why hire me? I'm the most expensive business appraiser in town. Why wouldn't you just hire, you know, Joe over here? He costs half as much as me. Like, why wouldn't they want the cheapest? Right. You know, I think, um, I don't know if I have a, a good answer to that question. That is a good question, though. You know, I think, um, I, I think there's a degree of, um, you know, it's actually a really good question. I don't know. Maybe we can explore that further. I, I don't really yeah. know. Right. Well, there needs to be something different about you. So what would be meaningfully different? Um, I mean, you're getting a little bit, the... The, the way you would get away with it, air quotes, right now, charging more than Joe down the street, is that they trust their lawyer and whatever their lawyer says, they're going to, they're going to sort of um, pass that trust along to you as the third party. They're going to, they're probably going to assume things will go a little more smoothly. And it's like, oh, my lawyer trusts Charlie, so oh, right, I'll trust right. Charlie. So you're getting, so you're different in that regard. But that's kind of a, um, that's only going to get you so far if they're not feeling like, um, hiring the cheapest is potentially that risky. Right, right. So I think from sorry. I, I, now that I'm now that I'm thinking back, what you're saying is, you know, why would they why would they hire me? Right. And and the reason I'm probably one of the higher charging appraisers is because we follow you know the uh, guidelines that are recommended by the uh, United the the uh, United States. Uh, uh, appraisal standards, the uh, the AICPA, which is the accounting body, their valuation standards. You know, we go through all the correct standards to provide a fair, reasonable, objective appraisal, and we don't, you know, skip or miss anything. Um, whereas, you know, other appraisers, you know, they might make, they might, you know, cut corners or do something that's not, uh, you know, within the sta the correct standards or follow the correct standards, just trying to maybe charge a lower Mm-hmm. Okay. But surely you can't be the only person who's following the guidelines. So that, that, that right. So that, that will differentiate you for, from some people. So the, the, the kind of analogy that popped into my mind when you were describing that, that I think applies is kind of like hiring someone to roof your garage. If I was looking for someone to roof my garage, I probably would want to make sure that they were insured. 
you know, so like not just some, you know, wing nut that's got a ladder and is <laughs> going to climb up my roof and then right. fall off. And, you know, so I, there are certain things where there's risk, potential risk involved with the work that's being done in your case. Um, I, I'm not sure how this would blend into your marketing and I'm not, it, maybe it wouldn't, but I'm just curious, do the, is there any way to know when some, some uh, an appraiser screws up? Um, no, it, it's, it's actually pretty hard unless it goes to the IRS um, and it gets challenged by the IRS and then has to go to like a tax gorge. Um, and, or, or there, that's the most extreme way to find out. Or if maybe, um, the attorney or the CPA is, you know, well-versed in appraisals to understand some of the nuances of maybe the incorrect, um, you know, way that the appraiser did the analysis. Mm -hmm. So, but it is, it's pretty challenging to find, like, I mean, I review other appraisers reports from time to time and, you know, you, you can find errors in them mm -hmm. and nobody would catch them. Mm -hmm. So, so we need to keep looking because so far I have no reason not to go with the cheapest person. So let's look at right. the, let's look at the risk that they're exposed to the, the, the actual buyer. Could you pursue, or is there a particular kind of uh, gift or estate transfer or whatever the transaction or seller or gifter that is in a supremely risky situation so that the likelihood or impact of a bad appraisal would be so catastrophic that they'd be willing to kind of take out an insurance policy by hiring the best of the best. You know, it, it I wouldn't say it'd go that far. Um, and let me just add something to it as we get going in this. One of the reasons, and um, one of the reasons that people hire us not only is just to value the business. What appraisers can do is so if you get a small minority interest in a business, I can, and let's say the business we say the business is worth a million dollars, and um, you're going to gift ten percent of that right to uh, somebody. And let's so that 10% interest, let's say, is worth $100,000. Well, appraisers could come in and say, well, since it's a minority interest, um, you, you're not going to get maybe dividends. You're not going to get this. You have no control. Uh, you know, Jonathan still owns 90% of the business. Uh, what we could do is take the $100,000 value and make certain discounts on it to lessen the value of that interest. Mm -hmm. And so that that's a big reason why we... The IRS allows that uh, to a certain degree, and so that's a big that's a big motivator. Uh, and I probably should have led with this, but that's a big motivator why people and attorneys and CPAs hire us is because they know that they can say that hundred thousand dollar interest, the appraiser is going to discount it to say maybe it's only worth seventy thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So now you're transferring seventy thousand dollars, so your tax is not you're not going to be charged a tax on hundred grand; you'll be charged a tax on seventy thousand. Okay, so you save you potentially save them in that model something like ten grand. Yeah, I mean you could save them. You know, some discounts can be, you know, when they're added together, it can be a thirty or forty percent reduction in the value, which so, would translate yeah, into I mean, like a ten percent, you know, like ten percent not given to the IRS. Right. Right. Yeah. Or more. Or more. 
Okay. And I'm a little, the only thing I'm reluctant is selling my services based off of that because, mm-hmm. you know, we hold, we're not actually allowed to based on our standards right. and the way we hold ourselves out is we're not objective. I'm not motivated by that discount, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, okay. So what, what about, um, is there some way to differentiate yourself on the, on the offering itself? So, you know, if, if, if somebody said, oh, why should I pay you five grand when Joe down the street will do it for three? And you say, well, because what Joe's doing is a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I'm just gonna, he's just gonna come in. He's, um, and he's going to be done in three days and he's not, he, you know, he, he, he's just going to do the, the most basic bare minimum thing. But with me, it's apples and oranges. I do this more concierge white glove kind of service thing. Uh, maybe there's some period of time that, that the, the client has access to you after the sale for some reason, or, um, I'm sure none of that probably is, is directly applicable to what you do, but is there some service differentiation that you could offer that would uh, potentially be valuable to the client and would differentiate you from anybody else that they would potentially talk to? Yeah, I would say in terms of like a specific service, um, you know, you know, that is something I've always led with to say that, you know, they can reach out at any time after this appraisal is completed. I am available, um, you know, what I, one way I do try to position myself is, is, um, is, is I, I do focus on certain areas of practice. I do a lot of restaurant work and mm. I've, I've done, um, uh, like McDonald's franchises, for instance. Mm. Um, and there's a couple of other areas that I, I try to position myself. I don't try to pigeonhole myself too much because I've done a lot of, I've, I've been a generalist for about seven years of my career. So I don't try to say it too much, but I do have exposure to a lot of different industries, a lot of different companies. Um, and so I, I do try to position with the client say, look, I know your industry. I know your, wh- how you operate. And so I, I try to bring that as like a differentiator when I speak with clients. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a, yes, that's, and that, that's a good idea. And that translates into, um, I do it better than the other people, but I'm looking for something where I do something different than the other people. So, you know, the difference between me and my competitors are, first of all, I'm better. I've got more, you know, because I have more experience with flipping McDonald's franchises or whatever. Uh, But also there's something I do that no one else offers. So like a fundamentally additional service. And it's funny because now that you mention a specific vertical, like a franchisee that's, you know, got a McDonald's and is trying to, or a diet or something, I don't, let's stick with the gifting thing, uh, wants to give it to their cousin. My brain immediately imagines that there's got to be some stuff that are specific to those particular kind of gifters that, that would be different than something you would do for any other kind of business, or, or at least maybe not any other kind, but something that is specific to them that... You know, like, for example, there's got to be more data on how much a McDonald's franchise is worth than, let's say, a mom and pop pizza place. So maybe oh, right, they've got, right. you know, like there's, there, there must be differences. So I would imagine if you, it's, it's normally the case, I'll put it like this. It's normally the case that when you get really specific about a target market, even if you don't exclusively work with those people, but if you, if you look really closely at a specific target market, there's usually something unique about 
their business or their personality or you know their psychographic profile their demographics there's usually something unique there that is going to produce needs that are different than you might find with another target market so you can speak directly to those things and really stand out from the crowd because no one else that none of your competitors would be as you know they're clearly not coming up with products and services that are going to address the specific needs of that target market so it's not just it's not just a good marketing thing to do because the word of mouth it's also good from an innovation standpoint because you can create products and services specifically for uh, this this a particular market you know you could do multiple markets perhaps but starting with one let's just i like this franchise one it like really perked me up um can you think of anything that you would do for example let's say let's say you were proactive about this and you were just going to focus on for the next six months you were going to focus on um uh, increasing the awareness of people in the franchise restaurant space of your existence and we're going to do like um I don't know, like uh, it's a little weird now, pandemic era, but but we're doing like every month you did like, uh, you know, here's what here's what you need to know if you're if you ever if you ever are planning to gift your franchise or a part of your franchise or why might you even want to do that instead of selling it and really, really lead the lead the market, go way upstream before people uh, are planning to do something like this. And then they're finding out like, oh, I got to pay all these fees. So if you if you sort of front ran the whole thing and said, Hey, franchisee owner, um, did you know that gifting a business can cost you blah, 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 or like the, whatever the things, I don't know anything about it other than what you've just told me today, but right, right. Um, theoretically you could do a little like, you know, coffee, uh, get together like a meetup and get every franchisee owner in the area be probably pretty pretty straightforward to round up their names and send them an email, <clears throat> even if, you know, and even if you don't want to get together in person, you could do a webinar. You'd need to come up with some, some reason why it was, it would be relevant to them to even spend a half an hour about it, you know, think, you know, spend a half an hour learning about gifting their business. If it's not something they're currently planning on doing, you need to find some kind of, uh, some kind of hook to say, you know, oh, this is, this is why it would matter you know, don't find out too late or don't wait too long or something like that. And, um, yeah. And then get, you know, and if you have a room full of a hundred people virtual or otherwise, odds are pretty good that there's one or two in there that are, uh, ready to buy actually. Uh, but even if they're not, and you do Q and a after a little webinar or meetup, then you're going to learn, uh, way more about their, specific situations. Uh, maybe they've, maybe they've heard stories about this going horribly wrong, or maybe they've heard stories about it being no big deal or who knows what, but you'll be, you'd be getting to know a particular kind of buyer much better. And maybe I almost want to say usually, I mean, usually the better, you know, a potential buyer, the more likely you are to be able to come up with innovative products and services for those people, because you understand their hopes and dreams and worries and fears a lot better. And that would start to, right. and that would give you something to say, well, you could, you know, you could go into a meeting and say, well, why, why hire me? I'm the most expensive person in town. Joe down the street charges half what I charge. Why not go with him? And, and they'll say, well, Joe doesn't offer X, Y, and Z that you offer. And, and we definitely want that. 
so that would be, I don't know what X, Y, and Z are. That's the tricky part, but, um, yeah, but that would be a powerful answer to the question. Why, why, why me? And it would also, um, uh, it would differentiate you and it would give you some pricing flexibility where the, the, uh, buyers would know more upfront and it would be less like, a, you know, uh, a bunch of fees that were getting sprung on them when they were trying to do something nice for a relative. Right. Right. Another, you so, know, I, I think that's like, well, let me, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Oh, that's right. Well, I was just gonna, I was going to piggyback kind of off that. Cause it actually, when you're bringing this up, it actually leads into, I have a, I met a CPA who owns a CPA firm and she said, Hey, I want you to come um, after the tax season, come and speak to all the accountants in my office and let them know about valuation services. And, and so not, I know you're going after the franchise, but it's sort of that similar thing mm -hmm. is, is, you know, I had this opportunity now to present in front of a group of people about, because they want to know what are, what do their clients need to look for, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. why should their clients care? You know, so it's exactly, exactly what you're saying, just a little different kind of of a group. But, you know, I think, um, I've always kind of been not sure how to tackle that because you can get into the real boring stuff. Oh, you know, this is why you maybe need one. But I do think there's probably and this is kind of my question for you is like, is there an opportunity there to, to discuss this? But in terms of what happened, I guess I don't want to bring too much fear to the table, but it's saying, look, if, if you, you can go with just anybody, but you should go with somebody who's qualified, who knows what they're doing, who has experience in the industry. Because, you know, these are the ramifications if you don't do it correctly, right? This is not just another fee added on and just checking off a, you know, a box mm -hmm. that you did it. It's, you know, because to me, I think a business appraisal, me personally, I think, okay, all right, you know, my CPA is maybe, if I'm an owner, I'm thinking, oh, my CPA is making me do this. But to me, I think there's real value there that you now know you have an idea of what your company's actually worth, you know? And then... Uh, that gives more value to say, look, if I maybe want to sell this someday, I at least have a basis for when it was appraised, stuff like that. I mean, I, to me, I, I feel like there's a lot of value when you get those. And maybe it's expressing that a little better with clients and CPA. Maybe that's kind of it too. Yeah, that could be, that could be an approach. So if you if you did uh, target the referrers, so the lawyers and CPAs and so forth, and you educated them or whatever you did with them and and they perceived you as the best in town then it would make sense for it would get over the their price sensitivity because they know well charlie's the best like if you know and you're you dear client you you like the best so this guy's the best he will be the lowest risk option. He's done this a million times. Totally, you know, he's got all of the all the credentials. But getting this glow, not just like a "Hey, I'll introduce you to someone" introduction. Like, yeah, I know a guy, but like, I know the best guy right. in town. And then that would justify potentially justify the fee to both the person making the referral and to the client. And there, so so doing the the sort of um, educational thing for the 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 referrers i think is a perfectly good idea uh and there's one thing in there that i wanted to 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 jump on which is um it might be interesting when you're making a presentation about this to instead of saying you should hire you should hire someone good because the risk is whatever you could you could say well 
instead of instead of the word should always sets off alarm bells for me because people right. people yeah. take it they they're like well you're just telling me to hire you you know so if you if you phrase it like a little differently and say well the business appraiser you should hire depends on your risk tolerance if you have a really high risk tolerance in other words you you're a gambler and you don't mind taking risks with your business then it's fine to hire someone cheap you might save a ton of money in the long run if the you know if the, the irs doesn't find out if they don't come after you for for the fees then sure you know you can make that gamble um, if you don't have a really high risk tolerance then the safest thing to do is hire someone who specialize, maybe say specializes in your industry, follows these guidelines, and has years of experience, kind of like me. So you know, maybe, maybe then in people in the audience who are probably not like have super high risk tolerance as a business owner, like these kinds of businesses, they generally wouldn't have giant like startup mentality. You know, twenty three year old kid risk tolerance. They'd be like, oh no, 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 I don't want to roll the dice with someone cheap. You know, I'm the type of person that would pay for the best or pay for at least someone who's really high quality. And, and I would expect to pay more for that. So um, that was just a minor point about the, the word should back there and saying, like, instead of using should say, well, well, you know, you should hire someone cheap if your risk tolerance is through the roof and you want to gamble with the IRS. It's fine. You can do that. Um, but most people are going to be like, no, I don't think I want an audit or fees or any surprises or headaches. I'd rather go with someone that really knows what they're doing, who I trust that knows what they're doing. Um, and if you're making that presentation yeah, to th the CPAs directly or the clients, I think it would work in both cases. Yeah, actually, I think you nailed it. I think that's probably the best way to phrase that because that's exactly that's exactly how it is. I mean. You're supposed to do stuff the IRS tells you to. There are some people out there who don't follow the rules and they just take the risk. Yeah, that's obviously not who I want to work with, but that's right. maybe when I'm meeting somebody new, that might be them, you know, and then that's a great, you know, that's when I can end the conversation and say good luck. You know, right. I don't waste my time. I don't waste their time. Or, you know, because I, do, I don't, there's ways you can use fear and I don't want to do that, you know, but I do want, people do need to be educated and say, look, you just hire the cheapest guy or you know working out of his garage <laughs> and can you know says he can he can do this you know um you know but the you know you are exposing yourself to risk and actually i think that's a great way of phrasing it so thanks for that that's awesome cool um the other thing that made me th the other thing that that this line of thinking uh sort of inspired is what about reaching out to folks that are the the most expensive lawyers and cpas in town and and starting there yeah that and that is something i i actively try to pursue as well and i i'm in agreement with that you know going after the people who understand because there are attorneys that or cpas you meet and they understand it they get the process they get the value in it and they can communicate that to their client you know and then it's it's the newer business that i've tried to reach out and it's like oh you know they don't want to. And I, I'm in agreement with that is try to go after the more upscale, the person who probably does have owners who own 30, 40, $50 million a year revenue type businesses, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. who are understanding that if we do stuff correctly, we do it right. And we pay, you know, you, you pay the correct fees for it, you know, then they're going to get value out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And potentially you could um, have a, maybe, maybe you get, like there's a, a really high-end CPA and a really high-end lawyer and you all three get along really well. You, you're, 
um, and you partner up to do these kinds of presentations directly to clients. So you could do, you know, maybe a three-person presentation where the, where the um, you came up with an angle that is topical to, you know, in between the three of you, reach out to your network of of people in maybe a particular target market. Maybe it's just franchisees. Maybe it's maybe it's as specific as McDonald's owners. Maybe it's uh, more general, like people who have a you know ten location chain restaurant, whether or not it's a franchise. But let's just say you picked um, franchise owners, and you said, "Hey, you know, Alice, Bob, let's get together and do a presentation about the effects of COVID on uh, bus- the business effects of COVID on franchise restaurants, and and what that would mean uh, in different scenarios." And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just totally making this up, but, but t- picking something yeah, right. topical that's on people's minds and probably, uh, geez, I mean, restaurant owners of all people are probably having all kinds of difficulties and, and thoughts about gee, how do I get out from under this? So, you know, maybe you come up with like, uh, some kind of a presentation where the three of you talk about how to kind of escape your business without, uh, getting killed on fees or, uh, you know, how to gift it to someone. I don't know. You, you know, I don't know what, what the topic would be. Um, uh, but I know how to find out what the topic, what a good topic would be, which is to talk to a bunch of people who you think might be in a good target market for you and find out what's on their mind. And then either on your own or in partnership with these, uh, with a CPA and a lawyer that you get along with, you could do a little road show, you know, virtual or otherwise, where you you make this presentation and uh, like I said, some people in that market are immediately going to be like, we need to talk. This is, you know, if you have out of a hundred people, there's probably gonna be two or three that, are, that will immediately be like, we need to talk. This sounds great. Right. Um, and then the rest of them are, you know, some percentage of the rest of them, maybe like eight or 10 more would be like, oh, that is really interesting. I should tell my sister about this because I know she's in this situation that she's not in Phoenix, but still she should talk to these people. And then the rest of the people you've just educated them uh, for future reference three years from now, they're going to know that, you know, what's involved. They're not going to be, these fees aren't going to be sprung on them. So you're like, you know, in the long-term game, you're educating the market, you know, the local market. Right. You know, actually I really like that, you know, and I, I do, um, I do try to do that to a degree. Um, I try to do that with a lot of like kind of email marketing. I know that doesn't, it's not always the strongest, but I do think that's actually a great, uh, you know, one is teaming up because I'm meeting another group that I think would actually be really willing to do something like this. And, um, two is I think, um, um, really kind of hitting them with, you know, and maybe not even exactly, I think kind of what you were maybe saying, too, maybe not necessarily even hit them with complete valuation type stuff, but maybe just more issues that are, are pressing them, you know, and oh, yeah. then yeah, being yeah, a yeah. resource, you know, which actually, I, you know, I don't, you know, you get so stuck in your business. I'm not necessarily thinking that, but uh, actually I think that would be, because in my mind, everything comes back to value, everything that impacts your business, you know, your competitor opens up shop down the street. Well, that's going to impact your business, you know, mm-hmm or your competitor shuts down or whatever. But, you know, you could briefly kind of talk about those valuation type issues or, you know, touch on them or just have them know, I know your issues. I know what's going on with you. And if you have stronger, you know, deeper concerns, you know, then they can give me a call. And I do like that a lot. Mm. Cool. Well, I think, 
yeah, I, I mean, these ideas, I think, are, uh, it, it's sort of nothing new. It's, it, it's, it's all the kinds of things that I would say in general to people. It's kind of like, you know, make the market aware of you in a way that makes them glad every time they spend time to pay attention to you. They're like, wow, that was really worthwhile. And eventually, mm-hmm. someone's going to need your service, and they're going to, and your name's going to be on their mind. And you'll be famous if you're famous in the market. Everyone's going to expect to pay top dollar. It's like, well, we, we want the best. Mm-hmm. So you know, or they don't if their risk tolerance is really high, and they don't really care, and they just see it as a cost of doing business or a fee or a tax. Then they're probably not the best client anyway. And if you were, um, you know, and if you could charge twice as much, you could work with half, half as many people and spend more time going around educating people on how to, how to, I feel like, I feel like your angle, your, your general evergreen angle for someone who has business appraiser as their title would be how to increase the Mm -hmm. value of your business. So like, here are the things that I see, you know, uh, business owners doing that cause a low valuation or or vice versa yeah i don't love the see the the thing i don't love about the um the tricky part with the gift the gifting angle is that they want their business to appear to be worth less so and you, i feel like that is the opposite of any normal circumstance normally for a variety of reasons you're going to want the business to be worth more until it comes to the, the right. time to deal with the irs like ri- like literally that's like the only time you want it to be worth less. So right, it, right. if you were, I, yeah, but I think you could have an well, evergreen just, thing where you'd say like, I'm a business appraiser and I know what makes businesses um, look more valuable or less valuable on paper, depending on what you're trying to do. And perhaps you've got insight around real actions that they could take that wouldn't just make the business look look more valuable on paper, but actually be more valuable on paper than people would yeah, people would always be interested in talking to you. And whenever they were getting ready to sell, they would be, you know, you'd probably be the first name in their minds. Right, right. Well, I think, I think actually that the gifting in a state type work is always a unique kind of beast. And I, I think, um, so that aside, I do think most owners obviously want the value of their business to increase. And, um, and I think educate, I think those are, you know, great ideas on just probably those are the directions to kind of go in or uh educating people on you know how to increase the value of their business or you know things that we know that decrease the value of a business you know operationally or financially um or or um one one avenue i'm trying to get into is really is trying to educate people on on owners it's telling cpa say hey do you have that owner who calls you up and says Hey, in three or four years, I want to sell my business. Um, you know, it's trying to say, get that person today to get an appraisal done, establish that benchmark so they know the value today and then see what any, you know, potential issues are within their business uh, and then get those resolved now. So when they go to sell, maybe in three to four years, those items are cleared away. Those risks are taken care of. And, you know, the value has presumably grown within that three to four year time frame when they go to sell. You know, they're not, not just a shot in the dark. Cause a lot of business owners, small business owners, the way they sell their business they Oh, I want to go buy a condo in California on the beach. That cost me a million dollars. So I'm going to sell my business for a million, hopefully sell for a million dollars. <laughs> right, you know, right. I can go buy that condo now, you know, right. totally disconnected. It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> right. 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 But that's right. what they like, want. Right. Maybe your business is worth a quarter of a million dollars, not a million, or right. maybe it's worth 
3 million, you know, it's like not the best way to look at it. (laughs) Right. All right. So, uh, I don't know if this, does this feel like you've gotten any helpful tips out of this or, you know, some next steps that you could take? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is actually great. I think you've kind of helped. Um, I think you really helped solidify just some thoughts, you know, rattling around in my head and just really kind of nailing down just some ideas moving forward and that sort of risk tolerance. Cause that, that's, you know, I know I, um, in the value based sort of pricing type of stuff, it's like, uh, I've no, I've listened to you and I've listened to others talk about it. So like Chris do from the future, I've listened to them talk and it's like, you know, maybe this, maybe if I create this logo or this branding type of thing, you know, this will increase revenue $10 million a year or a million dollars a year, whatever the number is. And then you say, well, look, my fee of a hundred grand pales in comparison to the million dollars that you guys are probably going to do. And, and so one of my thoughts is I'm not sure exactly how to position myself or if I even need to for something that we do, you know, cause I can say, look, I'm going to value your business, but I can't really come at you and say, Oh, well, I think I'm going to come up with a million dollar value and you're only going to pay me, you know, three grand for it. But, given our standards and stuff, we don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, be forward with that. Cause I say in my actual report based on my standards that my fee is not based on the value I come up with, you know? Yeah. That makes um, sense. So right. I, yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't want to, when I don't, when I market to people, I don't want to be like, Oh, well, I'm tied to your value. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, look, you know, you've got a company that does $50 million a year in revenue. You know, there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to analyze a business like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't just charge, you know, you know, this small little fee to do it, you know? And that's, I think that sort of, how do I express that, you know, if it comes up? Yeah. I think knowing, having some numbers that you could share around it, even if it's just anecdotal kind of horror stories. And again, I agree with you. You don't want to run around being scary all the time, but, but in a conversation, just making an offhanded remark, like, you know, uh, whatever Bob sold his McDonald's and two years later he got smacked with a, a million dollar penalty from the IRS. Like that's my fee is nothing compared to that. Or like my fee is nothing compared right. to what the fees, what the, what the penalties would be if this is screwed up and and just leave it at that. Like it would be great if you could throw a number mm-hmm. out because then that would anchor high and that would give them a sense of the, the, not the likelihood, but the impact of the risk. I don't know if, you know, the likelihood who knows what that is? I, I mean, that's in this particular scenario, it's hard to say what the likelihood might be. But a lot of times people don't care if the impact is big enough. They don't care what the likelihood is. That's why people are afraid of flying. Like the, the likelihood is incredibly low, but the impact is really big, right. <laughs> literally. So right. <laughs> so if, if yeah, it's like true, <laughs> if it's true that someone with a $50 million business could easily be facing a penalty of $300,000, in three years when they're in the condo on the beach, uh, and they don't want that to come back to bite them, then that's worth 30 grand, you know, or, or whatever. Right. So, you know, right. and again, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be screaming like you're, you're probably going to lose $50,000 in fees or $500,000 in fees. The IRS is going to come after you. Like, that's just annoying. Um, but yeah, I think it feels like the risk tolerance thing and the impact of a loss, you know, if they did, did get, flagged and it turned out they owed a bunch of money to have a couple of anecdotes to sort of roll off the tongue in comparison to your fee you know if somebody gets sticker shock they see they say ten thousand dollars for an appraisal it's like well it could you could you could easily lose a hundred if this is screwed up like it's nothing you know 
So right. it's a good it's a good comeback kind of thing. Uh, and the last thing, yeah, I'm actually, sure... I really like that. Cool. And the the last thing, uh, I just want to plant a seed in your mind to think about creating, um, not worrying as much about value based pricing on a customer by customer basis or client by client basis. You can do that and really swing for the fences, and that that can be extremely profitable. Um, if you find it difficult, though. Uh, I think having a productized service or two or three in your mix would be a really interesting idea to explore. So I did a, an episode recently with Blair Enns. We talked about some productized services that really any expert or consultant or authority can can use very easily, like a paid call or a, um, oh, your business is a little interesting. But you you know you, you should check that out because if you had like uh, just a $2,500 for a, um, I don't know, a preliminary business uh, appraisal for people who are planning to sell a franchise in three years or are planning to sell their business in three years. And it's just 2,500 bucks. And you go around to mm. your network of CPAs and lawyers and so forth or whatever, whatever, pick whatever price you want. It's 3,500, whatever, right, 5,000, right. pick whatever price you want. And then just go out to your CPAs and lawyers and everybody and say, uh, hey everybody! I've got this. Uh, I've got this service. It's thirty-five hundred dollars, and it's specifically for uh, business owners who are planning to sell in two or three years' time. Do you have anybody that fits that model? And they'll immediately be like, "Oh, you know what? I think I do." And if there's a price already, then they'll immediately have a sense of whether or not they think that's a thing that they would recommend. If there's no price. And they're like, now they got to put you in touch with the client. And then there's going to be this back and forth. And they're, you know, potentially worried that their relationship could be damaged if your price was like really high or, you know, might embarrass them and say, why'd you put me in touch with this guy? And, but if the price is known upfront and it's the same for everybody, then it makes it a lot easier for them to make a go, no go decision on the referral piece. And, uh, and if you, if it was specifically that productized service and you're, you're catching people way upstream, that's just another good thing. So that they're going to be less surprised later and uh, potentially less price sensitive later. Yeah, actually, I really like that. And I, that is something I've been, I've been trying to think about is how can I offer, because that's a market that's actually what you hit on is exactly something I've, I've been thinking about doing. So that's actually really perfect. And then are you, you're suggesting maybe try to have a, a couple of those in theory? I mean, you're, you, that, that would definitely be a good one, I think, because you don't have a lot of people buying that now. So, you know, at, at an ad hoc right. basis. So that would be a good one to experiment with since you're, you're not going to cannibalize anything that you're currently selling. And you, you could do, you could pick uh, a target market. You could make a productized service that's basically what you already do, your normal thing, and pick a buyer for it that for whatever reason is going to be roughly the same scope all the time. So you could say, Oh, you know, I do, uh, I've got, I've got this, uh, I've got a sort of packaged business appraisal for franchisee owners who are doing specifically this. Uh, so if you fit that category, it's $5,000 period. So you don't have to talk okay. about, you know, you don't have to, and, and they can either be like, yes or no. It's kind of like a, Kind of like an attorney that would say, you know, like, oh, $1,000 divorces, but they do a bunch of other stuff that's not, you know, they probably also bill by the hour for a bunch of other things, but they've got these packaged services that like for a specific thing, it's X dollars and you could, and again, if you create this kind of a thing, it makes perfect sense to reach out to your network to let them know that 
hey, if you've got any McDonald's owners that are looking to gift a piece of the business, uh, I've got this special service just for them. It's five grand all in. No, you know, there's no, you know, uh, no change orders or it's that's it. You know, if it turns out it's harder than I expected it was going to be, then that's my problem, not theirs. So that would disconnect. I mean, you're already disconnected from from uh, your dollars, from your time. So that's good. But you could potentially have uh, a vertically focused version of your current service that would get you deeper and deeper into a, a particular vertical. And if that goes well, you could either go even deeper or you could do another vertical after that. So like, well, maybe your main vertical is franchisee owners. Maybe the next one is mom and pop restaurants. Maybe the next one is, um, I don't know, mom and pop chain restaurants or uh, who knows. Uh, but that would be right. Actually, I really like go. that. I really like that. I think my competitors definitely don't do that, you know, because a lot of them bill by hourly and they, they kind of look at themselves almost like an attorney in a way, you know, mm -hmm. and it, to me, it's a little, that's why I've been gravitated towards you and what you've done. Cause it doesn't really make sense to me and what we do. It's very, yeah, you know, what no you got to do, you know, you need to look at, it's like, you, there's no hourly component to this. Um, right. so Actually, I think that's a great idea because I, I, I've kind of toyed with that idea. Like, oh, do I put my maybe do I put prices on there? Do I put ranges? But I think doing that productized, like, hey, if you fit this, you know, segment or whatever, I'm going to try to go after, you know, and then have a, a, a price there that I know is a reasonable price for me and probably, you know, for the client, you know, right. to that degree. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a, actually a really great idea. Cool. Really applicable. So. Great. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, so we should keep in touch. If you know, if you do go to implement this stuff, uh, shoot me an email. I'd love to get an update. You know, maybe whatever, three months, six months, in a year, and see how it went. I will. Yeah, I definitely will. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for well, your time. No, thanks for coming on. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join us again next time on Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.